We are in the first verse of the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, and we will be reading through verse 5. Hear the words of the living God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Now today we're going to look at this particular passage under four categories. We're going to address this charge looking at it as right now as a provocative charge to Timothy. It's provocative and we'll see why in a moment. It is a pressing charge to Timothy. It's a present charge. It is a present charge We're going to see how it is a persistent charge that Timothy is to engage in in an ongoing fashion. But first, a provoking charge. Look at how he opens this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, this this particular passage is one of enormous importance to every preacher and minister of the Word of God. It is one of the most familiar passages uh, if this is your primary responsibilities to preach and teach God's Word. It has profound implications for the preacher, profound exhortations for those whose responsibility is to do this very thing. And the applications that we're going to look at here are quite obvious to that end. But I would remind you that these pastoral epistles do not just have relevance for those who lead in the church, for pastors and elders. They have supreme importance for every member of the church of Jesus Christ. For every follower of Jesus Christ. So don't tune out. Don't think, ah, this is just for Dan. These are just for the elders of the church. These are just for preachers. No, this is important for every single one of us. And as we've been looking at these pastoral epistles, and you're seeing how everything Paul is teaching Timothy and exhorting Timothy with builds on everything that he's been telling him in this particular letter. These are the last recorded words of the apostle. So we cannot disconnect this particular passage from what we looked at last week. And there we looked at the the true marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. The marks of discipleship. And Paul addresses the relationship that Timothy and he had engaged in. Timothy is his disciple. Yes, he's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Timothy is the one who has taught him. He's the one he's instructed, right? And Timothy is, is, the, is an apostolic delegate. He is Paul's spiritual protege. And Paul writes to him in the 10th verse of chapter 3. He writes, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Timothy has been following the life and character and conduct, ministry and purpose of Paul. He's faithfully imitated Paul's teaching. 
his way of living. He's made it his own. All those years he spent with the apostles, he observed his life, and now he was imitating the very things that, Tim, that Paul not only modeled, modeled with his life, but that he instructed him one-on-one with. And that's what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We follow the teachings of Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our master. We do what he's instructed us to do. We look at his life and we emulate it. And that's exactly what Paul had done. Which is why he could tell in many of his letters, he could write and say, Hey, imitate me as I've also imitated Christ. You can watch my life because what I've been doing is watching Jesus. Learning from Jesus and doing the very things that Jesus instructed me to do. Now he's going to deliver the imperative after he mentions those things to Timothy that he has to continue in what he's learned. He has to remain in the very things that he has firmly believed in. And he grounds that exhortation with two compelling reasons we looked at last week. First, he says, well, you know whom you learned it from. You learned it from the apostle. You learned it from me. That's whom you've imitated, the apostle of the Lord. Everything about the apostle's life and conduct was in sync with his teaching. Paul walked the talk. Everything he instructed Timothy in, he was doing and living by example. And secondly, he grounded that exhortation with this second reason. That what he, that he, what he learned and believed is valid because it's consistent with the scriptures that he was taught with and familiar with from his childhood. We know he had a godly mother and grandmother that grounded him in the scripture. At that point, it was the Old Testament scripture. He was familiar with scripture's teaching concerning the Messiah. And and all of apostolic teaching was in sync with what he knew from the Old Testament scriptures. They're one and the same. They're in complete harmony. They can be trusted. They can be believed. So he must remain faithful to it. And lastly, he asserts two of the most important and foundational principles that we can have concerning Scripture. They are principles that you and I need to hold on to. Like these are hills to die on when it comes, with God, when it comes to God's Word. And these things are the very things that are called into question today. The very things that are on shaky ground in many places. But here, Paul elevates Scripture to such a degree, gives us such a high view that we need to embrace these as well. And the first truth that is a foundational principle, is that all Scripture is divinely inspired. It's about Scripture's origin. He says it is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Exhaled from the very mouth of God, by the very breath of God. So Scripture's one and only divine author is God. It's not man. It's not man, it's God. And we need to remember that when we Come to the scripture, when we read the scripture, what we're called to believe are not man's words. They're divine in origin. They are God's words. And the second truth is concerning scripture's purpose. It's profitable. It's useful. It's totally sufficient. We call that the sufficiency of scripture itself. All scripture is useful to instruct. It's useful to correct. What does it correct? Well, it corrects our wrong thinking, our wrong way of living. To bring us to repentance and faith. It exhorts us to right and holy living. And all of scripture is useful to train us to conform to God's righteous standards. We say that scripture is totally sufficient 
in all manners and authoritative in all manners concerning life and practice. This is what we believe about Scripture. And Paul goes on to say that Scripture is the chief means by which God brings us to maturity. He says, Timothy, when you hold on to Scripture this way, when you believe it and you, and you affirm its origin and its usefulness, it is sufficient to equip the man of God, to build him up, to bring him into maturity. And that's exactly what God's Word does for believers. God's Word makes us men and women of God. You won't be made a man and woman of God. You won't be equipped into maturity and built up into maturity without God's Word. So on the heels of this powerful elevation of Scripture and this high view that is given of Scripture, now Paul is going to deliver this final charge to Timothy in his letter. Remember, these are the last recorded words of the apostle. He is in prison right now. He is awaiting his execution. And this is the last command and charge and exhortation he gives to Timothy that we have in writing. You're going to notice now the immediate connection between what we just finished looking at concerning Scripture and what Paul asserts, the divine origin of Scripture and its divine purpose and, and, and what Scripture is, and now with what, script, uh, what Timothy is called to do with Scripture. All right, what he's, what he's to do with it. Let's look at this charge and how he begins it. Because these, there's certain motivators that he's giving here, incentives to provoke Timothy to faithfulness in keeping this charge. And to demonstrate how serious this charge is, how very important it is, what does Paul do? He calls upon the highest authority that one could call upon to witness this charge that he's giving. Almost like an oath. He's calling upon the God of the universe and of Christ Jesus. But he writes here, I charge you. Those words literally mean that this is a solemn charge, a solemn charge urging that is being given here. This charge is weighty. It is serious. It is a solemn charge from the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to Timothy. And it's being delivered in the presence of God. Now we've seen him use this same formula he did at the end of chapter 6 with another charge that he gave Timothy in his first letter. But what is Paul doing by this? If not reminding Timothy of what? That he's calling God to witness not just what Paul is delivering to him, but also what Timothy is hearing, what Timothy is receiving, and how he is going to respond to this very charge. Now, you might think that's kind of a frightening thing to tell Timothy, but it's not meant to terrify him, though it is kind of in one way, right? But it's an incentive here. He's motivating and impressing upon him that his response to this charge and everything else that he's instructed him in this letter is happening before the watchful eyes of the sovereign creator. Before the eyes of God the Father Almighty. This isn't happening in a vacuum. This charge isn't being delivered in a vacuum. These are not the mere words of man, men that are being delivered to Timothy. This charge is in the presence of God. Paul has invoked the God of the universe to witness this charge and witness Timothy's response to this charge. And it's not just to God, he says, and of Christ Jesus also. His, his response is also being observed by the very one whose message Timothy has been instructed with. This is Christ's message. It's Christ's gospel. It's not Timothy's. It's not 
man. So, so he's invoking here also Timothy's savior and redeemer to witness this charge. And to witness Timothy's response. And of this great redeemer, what did he say? He's the one who's going to judge the living and the dead. And now that in and of itself is terrifying. He's writing of the coming judgment. That Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. It's one of our right lines in the Apostles' Creed. And in many of the church creeds. This aspect of judgment. We cannot forget this. One day, Timothy will have to give an account for how well he kept and preached the word of God that he's been charged with. How he followed that charge. How he discharged his ministry. Was he faithful to it? It's a sobering reminder to me. As a preacher of the word of God is a sobering reminder to every minister of the word of God that we will one day stand before the Lord and be called to give account. James reminds us of the same thing. He warns that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, severity, and scrutiny. The writer of Hebrews, in exhorting all believers to obey and submit to those who are their leaders because they give watch over their souls, he he gives this reminder because they're going to one day give account. I will stand before my Lord Before the piercing eyes of my righteous Redeemer. And I'll have to give account for how I proclaimed this message. Was I faithful to His word? Not my word. Not my teaching. Not my innovation. Not my revelation. But His word. And every gospel preacher is going to have to. And every minister. Who professes to know the Lord. And say they're teaching His word. Will give account. So so imagine this charge being given to Timothy and impressing upon him this. The one who's going to judge the living and the dead, he's observing this. He's watching over and superintending and supervising your response and how you are faithful to this charge, whether you are or not. You realize in this very moment, we're in the presence of God. This message is being delivered in the presence of God. He's watching over my preaching of the word of God in this very moment. And he's watching over how you receive the word of the Lord. And how you will respond to the word of the Lord. We'll all have to give account. Now if you're in Christ Jesus, this isn't about whether you will be in glory or not. That's not the judgment in view for believers. But think about the account we will give before God. What we did with what he gave us. What we did with his precious word, how we received it, how we put it into practice, how we lived it out. And for me, how I instructed you concerning it. Now let's look at this pressing charge. Verse 2. Here's the content of the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The urgency and pressing nature of this charge is conveyed by the abruptness of those commands. There are five terse commands here. No explanation given. Why? Because Timothy's just to get to the task. He's got to get busy doing this very thing. Time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. Why? Because this is Timothy's prime directive. It is his top priority to preach the word. Of all the things 
that Paul could instruct to Timothy in, in this last moment. Here's the final charge. It's preach the word. It is his prime directive. That word preach means to herald. A herald would go out through the marketplace and the public squares and deliver in a loud voice whatever the message was. Whatever the imperial message was or whatever he wanted to deliver or whatever was being advertised. This is what a preacher does. They're a herald. It's a loud and bold proclamation. In this case, what is it of? The word. The word. What is the word that is to be heralded? Well, the word is the whole body of doctrine that Timothy's heard. All of the gospel preaching that he learned from Paul, the apostle of the Lord. All apostolic teaching. All of Christ's teachings. All of the Old Testament scripture. Everything that he's been charged with with safeguarding and keeping. And everything that he's being called to proclaim and pass on to other faithful men. All of that. In other places, Paul refers to the word as the good deposit. The treasure. The truth. The faith. The sound doctrine. These are the things that Timothy must be faithful to proclaim. Preach the word. So as I've stated before, Timothy's not free. He has no liberty to deviate from the word. To put his own spin on the word. To claim other private revelation apart from apostolic teaching and the Old Testament scripture. No one is free to do that. No one is free to claim that, they, hey, I've got something extra. It's not in your Bible, but God flew me up to heaven so I could receive this message for you. Don't believe it. Don't buy it. That's not the word we've been called to preach. That's not the word we've been called to herald. It's the word. It's God's truth. God's word. Inspired scripture. The word is the only thing that is God breathed. The other stuff is man's invention. Man's illusions. These are not the things we're called to hold on to and firmly believe. The scripture and that which he has now committed to the church to safeguard and keep is what we are supposed to herald and preach. And that's what Timothy is supposed to do. That's what every faithful gospel preacher is to do. Now, while the pastor has other responsibilities to which he must attend, there's a million things. There's administrative tasks, there's pastoral tasks, there's, there's counseling, there's Bible studies. There's a lot of other things that a, that a pastor has to do in addition to this charge of, of preaching the word of God. But this is the priority. The public proclamation of God's word, the word, is the priority of every pastor, or at least it has to be. It's the prime directive. The word is central to the ministry of the pastor. As the word is central to the life of the church. It's not the programs of the church. It's not the things that the church does in regards to outreach. Those are important. Those are essential. Those are necessary things the church of Jesus Christ is to do. But what is central is the word of Christ. It's the word of the Lord. The word is what the pastor is to devote a large amount of time to. You recall how we looked at in Acts chapter 6. The apostles were burdened with having to do aspects of physical ministry. It's not that they weren't important, but what was it doing? It was taking them away 
from their primary responsibility and tasks. So what do they do? They bring the whole congregation together, all the believers. They gather them up and say, look, it's not right that this is what we're doing and giving our time to. You select from among yourself seven men, and they give the qualifications. And they, they appoint seven who were deacons in the church to take care of the physical needs. But why do they say they need to do that? They say, we must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Why? That was the priority. That's what they needed to devote a large amount of time to. So to faithfully preach the word, the preacher must be committed to the absolute authority of Scripture. Must have a high view of Scripture that we read there in 3, 16, and 17. To faithfully preach the word, the preacher must be committed to diligent study of God's word. That means there's no shortcuts in this. There's no downloading other people's messages. There's, there's no, you know, like, hey, let me see what the internet has to say. Let me get on chat GPT. Hey, give, preach a sermon on this passage. We laugh, but it's happening right now. I can't, I can't stand up here and preach the word of God if, if I haven't worked through it myself. If I haven't immersed myself in it, studying it, devoting myself to, to understanding doctrine in a way so that I can teach that to you. So I could convey it and communicate it where it's understandable. And, and you can take it and apply it and do something with it. Because I have a responsibility to pass that on to you. To faithfully preach the word, the preacher must be committed to a fearless proclamation of God's word. That means we cannot be more afraid of people than we are of God. We cannot be people pleasers or we will not teach the whole counsel of God's word. We won't say the hard things that God's word says because we're afraid of how people are going to respond. Well, the big givers are going to leave. Who cares? Because I'm not going to stand before you on judgment day. I'm not going to stand before you and go oh, and, and hear from you say, well, you insulted me and offended me by what you said. I know it's in the Bible, but that was offensive to me. I don't care. No, no gospel preacher should care about that. Otherwise, how are we going to do these things that we're instructed to do if we're more concerned with how people are going to respond? Don't get me wrong. I care about you. I, yes, I do care how you receive it. But it's not my highest priority. I've offended people here. I know that. But I'm not, if I've offended you with my words, that's one thing. But if I offend you with Scripture, that's on you. That's on your response to what God's Word says. But we have, a, we have a challenge in the church of Jesus Christ today. Too many pastors don't want to be preachers of the Word. They want to be storytellers. They want to be funny. They want to be comedians. They want people to like them. They want to use gimmicks, you know, and fancy illustrations, right, so that it engages people and captivates uh, their attention. They want to entertain. Problem is, you can entertain, but if the Word of God is not present, if there's no substance of the Word of God, if it's not being proclaimed and taught, you got nothing. You got a nice comedy act. You had storytelling hour. You had a TED talk. You had a, you had a therapy session. You did not have the preaching of the word of God. And with no preaching of the word of God, there is no transformation from the word of God. Pastors who want to be popular, celebrities, charismatic, 
There's a quote attributed to Charles Spurgeon. It's really a difficult one to source. It's not found in any of his written sermons. It was likely done by one of his students who may have heard him say it, but it's, it's true nonetheless. And it goes like this. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. This is the time we live in today. I, I just saw this last week on Instagram. It was making the rounds. It was a church doing another one of these at the movies series. And uh, it was on the Barbie movie. And so on stage there was a, this tall box draped with a black cloth. And then after the worship, and you're presuming all right, the word of God is coming next, what you have is this cloth drops, and you have this, it's the shape of a Ken box, the Ken doll from Barbie. I've never played with those, but my sisters did, but it's, he's Ken. And the pastor's inside this box with his little Bible like he's Ken. Now, oddly enough, yes, his name is Pastor Ken. So I guess that was the only relevant thing in that message. And then he stepped out of that box and gave the goofiest of messages trying to relate that to the Barbie movie. It's not the preaching of the Word of God, brothers and sisters. It's entertainment. It's entertainment. Look, I'm not opposed to guys using illustration. I'm not good at that stuff, so I'm not ragging on, on people who use illustration. But the illustration better serve the point of God's Word, not the other way around. That's not supposed to be the thing. That's not supposed to be the show. Okay, But, but, but this is the kind of stuff... That you have. We have goat entertainers. You're not goats. I'm going to preach to you like you are the flock of God. Right? You hear, I hear this all the time. People don't want to hear long messages. People don't have the intention spans to sit and listen to God's word for an extended period of time. All of the... the the conferences on preaching and, 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 and all these things. Hey, you keep your messages under 25 minutes. Keep them under 25. People can't endure long teaching. Man, we have a problem, don't we? If that's the case. Because we can sit through three-hour movies. We can sit through very lengthy things. If our priority is those things. If we love those things. If we desire those things. Too many pastors devote little to no time studying God's word. They are lazy. They don't labor over the preparation of a biblical message. That's a big problem. And it's a reason why the church is in the condition that it's in. What we need today are skilled expositors of the word of God and skilled preachers of the word of God. And I do. I want to remind you, this is my primary ministry. This is my prime directive. It is what I've been called to do. There's many other things that I do. And I love doing them. I love doing them. But this is the one thing I must not neglect. A reason of which I'll get to in a moment. But I must not neglect this. I can do a million other things extremely well. But if I neglect this one. If I fail in this one. I'm going to stand before my Lord. And I'll give account. I don't want to be ashamed on that day. You shouldn't want me to be ashamed on that day. I thank God. We have our small churches filled with people who love God's word. 
I'm so thankful about. I hear, I'm on all different pastors' forums and threads and groups, and I hear them complain and bicker about the sheep and the people and how they're responding. I'm like, thank you, God. That's not the case here. We have people who love God's word, who love the ministry of the word of God, who love the preaching of the word of God, who love to be taught the word of God, who are in the word of God themselves. So I praise God that that is not the case here. Now, this command to teach is the priority, and Paul's going to expand on it with these other characteristics of, of this charge to preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? For sure, it means to be prepared, right? We just talked about preparation. He's got to spend time preparing. But it's not so much about preparation as it is about availability. Timothy must be ready to preach not only when he feels like it, but when he doesn't feel like it. And I promise you, there are times preachers don't feel like it. There are Sundays I don't feel like it. I'm overwhelmed with things in my own personal life. It was a hard week. You know, things happened, right? And you just, you get here on Sunday and you're like, I got a job to do. And my feelings aren't going to determine whether I'm going to discharge the responsibilities of my ministry. I'm going to give it my all. He must be ready not only when it's convenient, but inconvenient. There are inconvenient times to preach the word of God. I'm going to give you an example. Sometimes people think, oh, funerals are really convenient times to preach the gospel. I can tell you how many funerals I go to where the gospel is seldom preached. It is inconvenient because if you want to preach the whole gospel, that's not going to be one I heard by people who all want to know. All they want to know is, I know even this guy was a scoundrel in life. I mean, he was a crook. He was rotten to the core, but we want to say he's in heaven. So we all want to preach the nice things in those moments. No, those are the very times we need to preach the gospel. It's not convenient. And interestingly, Paul gives an example of an inconvenient time here at the end of this letter. An inconvenient time where he preached the gospel. He's at his trial. I can't think of a more inconvenient time to preach the gospel. He's at his first defense, he says. Everybody abandoned me, but he says, the Lord strengthened me. To what end? So that I could preach the gospel. So that the Gentiles could hear the message. At his trial. That's what he's indicating here. Be ready when the message is popular and when it's not, when it's welcome or when it's unwelcome. He's to be on duty at all times, and a faithful gospel preacher needs to be ready to preach at any moment. There's no time to be lazy. At a moment's notice, he he may be called upon to preach the word, and he must do so. He goes on, reprove, rebuke, exhort. These are all elements of what gospel preaching, faithful preaching entails. You're doing all these things in the course of preaching God's word. You are correcting. You're reproving. Correcting wrong thinking. Correcting error that people might have. Wrong things they may believe about scripture. You may be rebuking people, right? Calling people to repentance from sin and to turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And for short, it includes exhortation, right? There is encouragement that is brought. It's not just... You know, preaching isn't just wagging your finger and making people feel bad. That's not the goal of preaching, right? It's also exhortation, right? We're encouraging people to what? To turn to Christ, 
pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to the hope that's in the gospel, pointing them to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these elements and more are part uh, of what a gospel preacher does. Some may be doubting and they need to be convinced. So we do that during the preaching of the word. Some may have fallen into grievous sins and need to be rebuked. Others are struggling in areas of their Christian walk. Some of them might be fearful in a certain area, so we need to encourage them in the faith. Okay? Then he says, this is, this is how you do it, with complete patience and teaching. Patience and teaching. This is how you preach the word. This is how you're prepared. This is how you reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Why complete patience? Well, we already talked about that with one of the metaphors uh, that Paul employs regarding the, the ministry that Timothy's been called to. He's to be like a farmer. Farmers need enormous amount of patience. Why? Because what they do does not give us instant results. The preaching of the word, things like that, we're not going to see immediate results from that. So we need to continue to be faithful, plodding ahead like the good farmer, in season, out of season, right? Whether it's welcome or unwelcome, we are to continue in this task and leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what we're called to do. And we're called to do that with, with teaching, right? Accompanied by careful teaching so that the word of God will be profitable to the hearers. We're explaining the text. We're exhorting with the text. We're expounding the text. This is a doctrinal ministry as well. This is why we teach in an expositional fashion. This is why we go through books of the Bible. If you've been with us for a while, you get. This is, we're 28 weeks into the pastoral epistles now. Most, most places do four weeks. Let's, man, a couple. You really don't see how all of this builds upon itself until we go through it in this manner. And you see how the doctrines of Scripture build upon another and how the Word of God fits together, right? This, this is why we do that. So why we do that in faithful gospel preaching. And it is why elders must be able to teach. That's the qualification, remember? You saw that in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. We're going to see that again at the beginning of Titus in a couple of weeks here. Storyteller, comedian, that's not one of the qualifications, okay? Able to teach is because this is what you're doing. Now, here's why it's important for you, the hearer of faithful gospel preaching. And it's what strikes me, considering this charge to Timothy, this solemn charge, right? In the presence of God in Christ Jesus to preach the word. It's the prime directive. It's my prime directive. And if what I'm supposed to do is preach the word, then it must mean that you need what I have been called to do. That this directive isn't just for the preacher to preach the word. You've, you've got to do that. But it also entails that there's someone on the other side of that. Hearing the preaching of the word. And then what is their responsibility? You have what I'm doing right now. You have need of what I'm doing right now. You have need of faithful gospel preaching. So what are you to do with that? What is your responsibility if you need what I've been called to do? It's to listen, isn't it? But not just any old listening. I know there are some who think they're listening, but they're multitasking. And they're scrolling through Facebook. 
or looking at news or messaging someone else right now. But active listening, that's your responsibility. You need to hear the word of God as it's preached and taught. All right? You need the faithful preaching of God's word. Think about what Jesus said in an explanation of his parables. In Matthew 8, he says, take care then how you hear. This, because it's God's word and not man's word, requires careful hearing. Now, I listen to instructional messages. I play YouTube videos in the background. You know, it's not God's word. So I'm free, I'm I'm multitask, but I can't really say I'm really paying careful attention to what I'm hearing. I might get 5% of what I'm hearing. But when it comes to the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, and you hearing and listening to the word of God, how much careful attention should you be giving it? Knowing that it's not man's words, but that it's God's words that are being preached and taught. Take care then how you hear. George Whitfield, in a famous sermon of his, actually titled, How to Listen to a Sermon. I think that was a great sermon to preach. This great evangelist of the Lord. Uh, and the link is in the sermon notes if you want to listen to it. It's just, it's the same, these very same points. But, uh, and there are some longer transcripts of it online that you can look at as well. But I'm going to give you these six points uh, quickly here on how to listen to a sermon. The first is, come to hear with a sincere desire to know And do your duty. You're not coming to be entertained. You're not. You're not coming to be entertained. You're coming to hear the word of God and be transformed by it. To receive it. Believe it. With a view of putting it into practice. You're to give, number two, give diligent heed to the things that are spoken from the word of God. Again, you have to give it your fullest attention because it's God's word. So be respectful of God's word. Listen. This is the thing. Pastors now, I don't know what you're doing on your phone. I see a lot of people with their phones. I am trusting you're on your Bible app. But I don't know that. And I've come later on and I'm on Facebook and I see someone posted something. At the very same time, I'm preaching something from God's word. And it wasn't related to the sermon. The Lord will find you out. (laughs) right (laughs) number three do not entertain even the least prejudice against the minister now to this i'm going to say we place far too much emphasis on styles of communication and and things about the preacher or we might have a prejudice i don't really like the way he speaks i I, you know i don't like the mannerisms sometimes man he talks too much with his hands they're all over the place and i tend to do that as well and that may be distracting nor is this, a, this is not an excuse for, for, for preachers to work on their craft and improve their skills of communication. But that should not be the ultimate priority. You have to remember above all else that the preacher is a man just like yourself. There's nothing special. But the charge that's been given is special. And the message that's been given is special. So with that, number four, be careful not to depend too much on the preacher or think more highly of him than you ought to think. This is a huge challenge in the Western church, not just in the West, in the church in general around the world. You've got celebrity preachers, build large platforms. People are going because of the preacher. Oh, he's amazing. Oh, the way he talks. 
Oh, I feel like I'm in heaven. The way he dresses. Oh, look how relatable he is. He's wearing the latest, you know, I don't even know what the latest clothing is, so I'm not even going to try to, <laughs> I'm not even going to try to mention what that might be. I will be dating myself if I do that. Which is why we have the rise of, you know, multi-campus ministries. You don't have faithful Bible preaching in each campus. What you have is the main guy, the celebrity guy, you know, piped in via, via video to all the different venues because he's the only one that people are coming to listen to. I don't want you to come in here and listen to me. I'm nothing. I am no one. You're here for the word of God. You're here for the message of Christ Jesus. All right, so we don't want to put people on pedestals because they're going to fail you one day. I came from a church where that's the very same thing that happened. The pastor was a people pleaser. Oh, you know, people put him up on this pedestal. Well, when he fell, so did many of those people. Why? Because their faith wasn't in Jesus Christ. It was on a man. Four, uh, five, make particular application to your own hearts of everything that is delivered. The temptation sometimes is when we're listening to a message to think about how it applies to our spouse <laughs> or to someone else, right? A brother or sister. No, you need to be receiving this for yourself and how does this apply to my own heart and life? Listen with a view to doing, right? Being a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Six, pray to the Lord before, during, and after every sermon. I hope you do this. And I, if you don't, begin to do that. Pray before you get here on Sundays. Pray for an attentive heart. Pray for the Lord to open your heart to give you understanding. Pray for the, for the Lord to, to give you a clear mind to think, right? Because we come with the cares of the world. We come with the anxieties of life. We, you know, we're, we're thinking about a million things. But when we come to this moment... Where it's the word of God being preached and taught. And we want to have a clear mind to receive it. We want to understand it, right? Pray that you get understanding. Pray for application to your life personally. Pray for God to give you what you need from the preaching of the word of God. Not everything may hit you, but something will. But pray asking God for that. Pray for God to give you a desire to sit under faithful Bible preaching. With that, I would say, pray for faithful preaching of God's word. Pray for faithful preachers. Pray for me. Pray for me in my preparation and study of each message. I put a lot into it because I, I need it for myself. And I don't just need it for myself. Now, I, now I've got to give something out with it as well. And there are some weeks it's not easy. Many of you know I'm also bivocational. I've got other things I do in my own life. I have a family also to take care of. So I need prayer. Pray for me. I want to be faithful to the charge that I've been entrusted with. Pray that the message does not fall on deaf ears and dull hearts. Pray for our body of believers here. Pray for each one of us here to receive the message of the word of God. Fourthly, the present charge. We're going to be moving quickly through here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here's one of the primary reasons for the urgency of the charge to preach the word. 
the present day contemporary scene which Timothy finds himself in. The people, the very people he's called to minister and preach to. And he's saying the time is coming when people will not want to listen to sound teaching. Now, when is that time? <laughs> right? We've, we've looked at this before, right? Because when you read this, you're thinking, oh, Tim, uh, Paul has in view this far off time that's coming, right? But we know when we looked at that aspect of the difficult times in the last days, that even though Paul is anticipating things will go from bad to worse, right, as we move on further on in human history here towards the glorious appearing of our Lord, that the last days is the present reality that the church finds itself in. These are the times of difficulties, okay? So these last days he has in view is now. It's where Timothy finds himself in this moment. It's not some just far off future thing. The time has already begun. We are in the time when people will not endure sound teaching. We're in the time when people will turn away from listening to the truth. I think we know that quite clearly in our day. We're in the time when people are finding teachers that suit their own passions and are wandering off into myths. And why does that happen? Well, there's a million reasons for that. But ultimately, people's natural tendency is to wander away from the truth. To drift, to deviate from it. People have an itch for novelty. They love fads. They love the trends. They love the sensational things that are being said. They love different teachings that they think are deeper and more meaningful. People prefer myths to truth. And because, that, because of that, they'll select teachers that give them what they want to hear. See, here's the challenge when you look at this, what Paul is saying here. It's, it's not that they've heard the truth and they've evaluated and they want something else. It's actually, they've already made up their mind about something, so now they're going to amass teachers to kind of reinforce. And, and that word itch, that word aspect of, of itching ears actually means having a tickle in their ear that needs to be scratched. So they look for those who are going to scratch that itch. Paul Washer, in an oft-quoted sermon... Uh, wrote this. False teachers are God's judgment on people who don't want God. But in the name of religion, plan on getting everything their carnal hearts desire. Because they want it, God says, here you go. They don't want, they don't want the truth. They want to go after their own sinful passion. This is the charge Paul levied against the false teachers, right? They were using godliness as a means of gain. The religious enterprise to feed into these passions and create some other profit, material profit, financial profit from it. He goes on to write here, and again, you may like this guy. I've told you before, don't listen to him. But he goes on in his sermon. That's why a Joel Osteen is raised up. Those people who sit under him are not victims of him. He is the judgment of God upon them because they want exactly what he wants and it's not God. And it's under the guise of religion. And there's a lot that's said out there in the name of Jesus that is not scriptural. That's the challenge. We've talked about the prosperity gospel here before. 
You know that's my background. You know that's what I've come out of. It's a serious matter. He's saying people have wandered off from the truth. They're wandering off into myths. We saw that in 1 Timothy. We see that all through 2 Timothy here. We see that consistently in apostolic writing, warning the church of, of, of the false teachers and their teaching in the church of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, they're not the main culprit. It's because people want that. They don't want the truth. They want that. So that's why they find people who will give them what they want. They're not listening with a view to the truth, but to have the tickle in their ears scratched. No end to that in our day. Again, worship services where the word of God is never read or taught. Teachers who undermine the authority of scripture. Teachers who call into question the historical reliability of the Bible. People who teach that, hey, the miracles of Jesus... But they didn't really happen. You can't believe the supernatural things you read in the Word of God. Those who smooth over the hard sayings of Jesus because they want to portray nice Jesus because that's the Jesus that the world loves and likes. They distort and twist the Scripture to make it culturally accommodating. I look at the, the Christian bestseller list. I, I looked at it. This morning, as a matter of fact. Let me see what's the hottest selling Christian book today. And here it is. I'm not even going to give you the title. I don't even want you to read it. It's rubbish. But I'm going to read you a few lines of the copy just to show you how this applies to this particular text. It's from the book. Could a 3,000-year-old calendar of appointed days provide the secret to the most dramatic year of our lives? Could an ancient temple, an ominous prayer, and a mysterious template lie behind the events that overtook Capitol Hill and shook the nation? Could an, egg, could, an egg, excuse me, could an enigmatic ancient king reveal the secret of a modern American president? There's more, but I'm going to throw up in my mouth if I keep reading here. The thing is, people eat this stuff up. To all of that, I say, who cares it's not the word of God. And you'll look at that list and there's, there's nothing there about how to really understand God's word, how to know God's word, how to study God's word. It's all this fanciful, extra biblical, and some of it downright heretical garbage that Christians, because they're ignorant of God's word, just eat up. Eat up. This is the present spiritual danger the people of God are confronted with. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. This is why faithful preaching is needed. This is why you should desire to sit under faithful preaching. It's funny, on the different groups I, I'm on on Facebook for, for the local area, Sanford, Lake Mary, Longwood, from time to time people will ask others to recommend the church. No one to this date that I've read has recommended, has asked for a recommendation of a faithful Bible preaching church. Guess what they ask about? Awesome music ministry and the kids ministry. But no concern. It doesn't matter what they're teaching. Does it have an awesome worship team? Does it have all the bells and whistles? And are my kids going to have fun? Brothers and sisters, I'm not opposed to those things. That cannot be our priority. 
That cannot be our priority. If you're not under faithful Bible preaching, you are susceptible to this drift away from the truth. All faithful Bible preaching has a prophetic edge to it. Calling people to turn from error and to turn to the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And lastly, a persistent charge. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The charge continues with how Timothy is to respond in the face of, again, the contemporary scene that he's in. The difficulty of the ministry climate and environment he's a part of and the people he's called to minister to. And he gives here four succinct commands, calling him to boldness and faithfulness. Always be sober-minded. He's to always be self-controlled. Always keep his head. He's facing opposition. He's having to confront these false teachers. It's the very charge that 1 Timothy opens up with. I charge you, Timothy, to confront those who are teaching a different doctrine. Tell them to shut up and stop it. That's how he starts his first letter. And, and it's obviously continued through here. But Timothy's to keep his head. Because the servant of the Lord, he, he instructed him earlier, is to be kind. Even with those who are opposing him, right? Level-headed, kind, keeping his cool, right? Even though he's going to be opposed. Endure suffering. Like if that isn't the theme of 2 Timothy, right? This is that recurring theme we see in the pastorals here, right? Um, in light of Paul's present situation, what he's endured in ministry, he's reminding Timothy, this is going to be the default. This is the rule, not the exception for a faithful preacher. Timothy will be opposed if he remains faithful. He must persevere. Some are not going to listen to it. Some are going to outright oppose him. He's going to lose members of his church to false teachers. So he needs to endure it. You and I as well must not be tempted to become silent as the truth of God's word becomes more unpopular. And that's happening in our day, isn't it? And the temptation is for us to keep our mouth shut because the pressure is intense. We must not compromise. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, he's not talking about the office of evangelist or a special ministry in the church. The point here is that Timothy is to make the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, his life's work. People are ignorant of the true gospel. People have a truncated understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Timothy in his preaching must expound a robust gospel so that people will get it. He must faithfully herald it. It must always be on his lips and he must always be ready to sow the seeds of the gospel everywhere. And lastly, he's to fulfill his ministry. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. There's difficult days ahead. But you must not be deterred from accomplishing the task to which I am charging you to. He might become discouraged when others forsake his teaching and embrace those of false teachers. But that must not dissuade him from the task at hand to faithfully preach the word. It's a persistent charge. The charge will always be pressing, so he must persist and persevere in it. Because we're in the last days. We know we're in the last days. And we know times of difficulty are in store for the people of God. 
that the more difficult the times, the harder of hearing people are, the clearer and more persuasive our proclamation must be, and we must not shrink back from it. So I say to you, do not shrink back from heralding the truth. Will it make you unpopular? 100%. Will you be faithful in doing that to our Lord? Yes. Do that. Now the weight of this charge, the urgency of what is before him, the challenges he will face in opposition to the message, all of that must have seemed overwhelming to Timothy. I know as I read the charge, I'm overwhelmed by it. It's a lot. It's weighty. It's serious. But here's the truth. There is not a single man alive who is up to the task. No one is able to measure up to all of this faithfully. Not Timothy. Not even Paul, the apostle of the Lord. For the minister, the passage is not a call to embrace an impossible or impractical burden. It's an invitation to enter into a life of profound dependence upon Christ and the strength He so graciously supplies. Of our own, we can't. But He can. And that's why Timothy's instructed him before to graciously avail himself from the strength that the Lord Jesus Christ supplies. Jesus, the one true faithful minister and servant of the Lord. That's why Paul says, Him we proclaim. He's the one we point people to because He's the one all of Scripture points to. And that is what we continually and faithfully preach week in and week out and at every opportunity. And for you who sit under faithful Bible preaching and teaching, my prayer is that you would desire it more and more. May you have a growing distaste and repulsion for the sensational and the things that may tickle your ear. And may you then crave the truth and receive with meekness the implanted word that can save your soul, as James instructs. May God grant you the grace and strength to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And may the Lord give you what you need from today's message.